Hello, and welcome back to the Angry Christian Podcast. This is Jonathan the Silent. It's been a weird few weeks here on planet Earth, so we're taking a break from the normally scheduled podcast, and this is a special episode. On today's episode, you'll be hearing from Jeff Bardell. Jeff is definitely somebody that you can say has been an angry Christian, and if after listening to his story you want to know a little bit more or get in contact with him, go to J-E-F-F-B-A-R-D-E-L.com. That's JeffBardell.com. And if you are at all squeamish and at risk of passing out when discussions of blood or loss of body parts happen, you may wish to skip this episode. With that being said, here is Jeff. When I was 18 years old, I was actually four days before my college orientation where I was going up to Appalachian State, and I was actually working two jobs. One of my jobs, I was working at Taco Bell. been working at Taco Bell for two years. You know, I was the annoying guy at the drive-thru who's, welcome to the border, can I take your order? You know, not just, <laughs> you know, just doing, just doing, I was the guy that like, yeah, just give me a taco. Um, <clears throat> But I was working that, but then I also, uh, my dad got me a job working at a glass factory in my hometown of Laurenburg, North Carolina. And they had, there was eight of us college students, or soon-to-be college students, who were working in an area called the Silos. Well, they had us doing all kinds of work. Uh, the day I got hurt, they had us work in an area called the Silos. Basically, what they had us doing is all the work that nobody else wanted to do. One of the jobs we had to do was... We had to take these really long metal rakes and run them into a really hot furnace. And the glass, as glass was being made, if there were any imperfections as they were running through the furnace, it would shatter and break and fall to the ground. But, uh, so we're, we're pulling these you know, metal rakes out of this furnace and basically just torching our forearms as we're pulling these rakes out. The safety things obviously weren't very good back then. Uh, I'd been doing that basically for the first nine days on the job. Tenth day on the job, they moved us to an area called the silos. So we go out into this area, and in this area, it was just dirty, just really, really dirty. Basically, in the glass-making process, uh, at the very beginning, they had this powdery-type substance that they kind of used in the glass-making process, and they would drop it onto a conveyor belt. Well, when they would drop it, dust would billow up and settle on the ground. Well, in the 20 or 30 years that this plant had been in existence, it had never been cleaned once. And so they said, all right, well, we've got, all the, we've got these eight college guys let's just send them out there and have them clean it up and so we're out there and this debris has caked on the floor for just years and years and years so we're going in with shovels and busting it up loading it into wheelbarrows and from there we were running the wheelbarrows to a machine called a screw auger dump it into a screw auger and it would dump in it would go up the screw auger basically up a flight of stairs and then out into a dumpster on the other end we had been doing this all day. Like I said, this my first day working um, out there. They had split the team in two, but it was my first day where I was actually out there. So we go to lunch, and when we come back, some of the guys were like, hey, nobody's watching us. Let's sneak out of here early. But my dad, when he got me the job, he said, it took me 23 years to earn a good reputation out here. Don't come ruin it in one summer. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Um, so I was like, no, nah. I, I said, let's at least do a couple more loads hoping that, you know, we get busy and then, you know, we just finish out our shift. First shift when we came back, first, actually, the very first load we did, you were, when we were working that day, you were basically doing one of four things. You were busting the debris up with the shovels and loading it into the wheelbarrows, or you were running one of the two wheelbarrows back and forth. The third guy was basically standing at the base of the screw auger, um, making, and his job was make sure everything goes down okay. 
the guy on the other end of the auger, when the debris would go up and fall into the dumpster, he was pushing everything from the front of the dumpster to the back so it all didn't pile up under the opening. Well, I had been running the wheelbarrows back and forth and using the shovels to bust up the debris all day. So when we came back, everybody just kind of switched positions, and now I'm at the base of the screw auger. And again, they said, your job is make sure everything goes down okay. They didn't say, if it doesn't go down okay, this is what you do. They just said, make sure it goes down okay. And we weren't aware that all the safety equipment had been taken off of this screw auger because it kind of slowed things down a little bit. So they had taken all the safety equipment off. And um, anybody in here know what a screw auger is? A few people? Okay. Okay, how about this? I think we're going to get full participation here. Does anybody here know what a screw is? Okay, a couple more people. All right. We're... All right. Got a lot of prayer to do. Uh, but anyway. So a screw auger is basically a giant screw with a casing around it. And as the screw would turn, the debris would get caught in the threads and get pushed up and fall out. Everybody understand? Good. All right. Um, so when the, one of my buddies, he came and dumped a load in to the auger. And he turned around and walked away. While well, I'm standing there looking in, and there's one piece on top that was a lot bigger than the rest of them. And I could see that the, the machine was turning underneath it like this because I could, the, the piece that was on top was just kind of moving, but it was too big to, to actually get down in the threads of the, of the auger. And so I'm thinking, my job, make sure it goes down okay. So I started looking for anything that I could find to try to bust that piece of debris up with, um, and, but there was nothing there. All the shovels were on the other end of the silos where everybody was working. And so the only thing I'm thinking is make sure it goes down okay. I was just, I've always been the guy, just get the job done. Whatever they tell you to do, just, just get it done. And so I'm like, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach in, I'm just going to grab that piece, and I'm going to take it out, I'm going to slam it down on the ground, bust into pieces, and then I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it back in. Pause button here for just one second. I've had three people pass out while I've been sharing my story before. Don't do that because <clears throat> it's distracting and it's rude. Um, so you've been warned. Um, all right, so there we go. Um, so here, so I won't go into a whole lot of details if y'all just promise to remain upright. Remind me to tell you the story about what happened at Josh's church. Do you know the story about the guy in the car? Okay, one guy passed out listening to it driving down the road. Um, actually, thankfully, he was pulling into his driveway, and his wife comes out, and he's passed out in the front yard, and in his car, passed out. So if you buy the CD, listen to it at home. All right, um, so... Um, so when I reached in to grab that piece, I felt a tug. And we were wearing gloves called gauntlet gloves. And a gauntlet glove is basically like a regular glove, but it kind of flares out at the wrist. And so what had happened was the corner of my glove got caught by one of the threads of the auger. And so I felt a tug, and immediately I just jerked back as hard as I could with both hands. And obviously my left arm came out fine, and my right arm didn't. And I'm, now I've got my left hand up on the machine and I'm yanking just trying to get my hand out of the glove and it, it had already cinched it tight around my wrist and so the machine was rotating this way and so without going to a whole lot of details you can imagine what started happening um, at some point I said ow or ouch I can't really remember but I was like this doesn't feel good and the machine started to pick me up off the ground and at this point I'm screaming one because it hurts really bad uh, don't try it at home just take my word for it really bad um, so one, I started screaming because it hurt, but two, I was hoping somebody would come turn the machine off. 
there was a guy who was at the other end of the machine who was pushing the debris towards the back. He hears me screaming, and he turns around and looks, and he came and visited me when I was in the hospital. And he said, your, your body was basically hanging out of the top of the machine. I'm hanging on with my left arm, just doing anything I could to slow my entrance into the machine. He runs down, runs around the machine, turns it off. At this point, I am really, really close to the point that I was like hanging on like this to try to stop myself from being pulled in. And so I pulled myself out, and when I did, my right arm was gone. And I'm standing there. The guy who turned the machine off, he's standing there looking at me. And honestly, I'm standing here looking at me too. And then he turns around and takes off running. And I'm just standing there like, dude, where are you going? Um, I didn't know where he was going, but I knew I didn't want to be by myself. So I took off running after him. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I don't know where you're going, but I'm coming with you. And um, so we're running through the factory, and I don't know why I was so proud of this. It's just, this goes to show you how immature I am. But I was so proud that I called him. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I got one arm, and I'm bleeding to death, and I caught you. You should be embarrassed. So anyway, that's just how my mind thinks. So running through the, and as I'm running, I'm like, where am I going? And then I remember there was an office that was about 75 or 100 yards away. So I was like, well, I don't know where he's going, but that's where I'm going. So ran up to the, the office, and when I get there, there's a big window um, where you can see into the office, and so I run up, and I'm, I look through the window, and I see a guy sitting on his desk talking on the phone, but I'll be honest, like, I had never had my arm ripped off by a machine before, so I was kind of figuring things out as I went along, maybe freaking out a little bit, so I'm standing there, I just stood at the window like this. <laughs> well, what was... I still don't know, whatever, thank, thank God God's good, because Lord Jesus, so I didn't like knock on the window, I didn't open the door and say, hey, you got a band-aid or anything like that, I just, I literally just stood there looking in, and I saw him, eventually the guy looked up, I saw him hang up the phone and pick it back up, so then I knew he was calling for help, so I laid down, because I was tired, I had one arm and I was bleeding to death, it just kind of seemed like a good thing to do, and so, so I just laid there on the ground, one of the first people to get to me was one of my, actually the very last baseball coach I ever had. And he actually uh, stuck his hand inside of my arm, found the artery where I was losing most of the blood, and he was holding that closed. One of the next guys that gets there, he runs up, and I'm, I'm laying there looking up at the ceiling, and he starts taking his belt off, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, keep your pants on, man. It's not that kind of party. Um, and, but what he did is he actually took his belt off and he wrapped it around my arm and he cinched a tourniquet in super tight to the point that there's still a small little scar right on the front of my, my shoulder, which I'm okay with. You know, I forgive him. Um, then one of the next people that got to me was my dad. And he actually ran around my body, knelt down beside me and grabbed my hand and he said, let's pray. And laying there on the floor of the, the factory, uh, we said the Lord's Prayer together. Then ambulance gets there. They put me on an ambulance and take me to the local hospital, but the local hospital couldn't handle a situation like mine, so they had already called Duke University Medical Center to send a helicopter down to come get me. So I'm at the hospital waiting, and then they're telling me, hey, the helicopter's getting here from Duke, and Duke was like the only word that stuck out in my head because I'm a Tar Heel fan. <laughs> A lot, lot of Christians in the house this morning. A lot of Christians in the house. Um, ACC champs, by the way. Um, praise Jesus. Um, 
So, last, so the only thing I'm thinking is, if they find out I'm a Carolina fan, they're going to try to kill me, you know? I mean, now, I know that these fine, upstanding citizens here wouldn't, but they, they're devils. I mean, just think about it. So anyway, so I'm just like, this, this could end up bad. And so they put me on the helicopter, and they're flying me up to Duke University, and they actually had to fly around two thunderstorms just to get me up there. So by the time they got me up there, I had lost three-fourths of my blood. Um, and yeah, I know, right? Um, and they take me in, and they're getting me ready for surgery. Um, and actually, what my hand and what was left of my arm was in a cooler. I didn't even know that at the time. I couldn't feel it. Um, but it was in a cooler on the helicopter with me. And so they get me in. They, they take me in. And I remember, I, I really, I vividly remember this, like, so vividly, is that they were giving me the anesthesia to put me to sleep for surgery. And I, I vividly remember my eyes closing, just slowly closing, because I remember being scared that I would never open them again. And the funny thing is, is, is when they gave me the anesthesia, I don't know if the doctor hadn't realized how much blood I had lost at the time, or if he was new at his job, or if somebody said, hey, he's a Carolina fan. You know, <laughs> we, we got one here. Um, but when they gave me the anesthesia, it ended up being too strong for my system. And I died on the operating table. And I've heard it was anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes, but I was dead. I wasn't like, all right, it's been 37 seconds. Please wake me up. Um, but the next thing they did uh, doesn't always work. They took a hypodermic needle about four inches long, just stuck it straight into my heart, pumped my heart full of adrenaline, got my heart started again. I was in surgery for 16 hours because they were trying to figure out if there was anything they could do, and there wasn't. And then I was in the hospital for 16 days, basically having to learn how to live my life all over again because I was right-handed. And people were like, well, now you're left-handed. I was like, well, actually, I'm only-handed, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> you know, glass half empty, glass half full, whatever. And, um, but it, every, it seemed like every day, even in the hospital, I was learning something new I couldn't do. And my mom and stepdad who were here, they, they saw my frustration every single day. You know, just having to learn how to do everything. One of the hardest things, believe it or not, was trying to learn how to brush my teeth left-handed because I couldn't make my hand do the toothbrush motion for whatever reason. So I would literally put the toothbrush in my mouth and just shake my head around. <laughs> and uh, I'd be dizzy by the time I got done, had to sit down. But it was every day, it was something like that, that I was just learning something new I couldn't do. So I get out of, I get out of the hospital 16 days later. I started college 16 days after that without the ability to write yet. I mean, it was like, I looked like kindergarten, you know, when you got those big fat pencils that are about this tall, and I'm just like, and it was, it was, it was rough. And so I was really, at this moment, I was really dealing with a lot of anger and depression and bitterness and just suicidal thoughts, just hating my life. I hated what I looked at when I looked in the mirror. I would literally... When I was getting ready, I would look at the mirror and I would slide all the way over to the edge of the mirror until the mirror cut me off right here so that I didn't have to look at that part of my body because I just hated what I looked at. And to be honest with you, this is something I feel like God just dropped on me. There's some of you in here, you hate what you look at when you look in the mirror. But God made you exactly like he made you for a reason. God doesn't make mistakes. So if that's for you, that's free. I'm not going to charge you for that one, but... God made you exactly like you are. Like, I've learned to, I'm cool, kind of. Um, 
But I've learned to deal, there are times that it's still tough having one arm, but I've learned that, you know, things could be a lot worse. My life's pretty daggone awesome. And uh, it's getting awesomer, if that's a word. Um, But, so I started college, like I said, 16 days later. But I was going to a local college because I was having to go up to Duke, God, twice a week um, for doctor's appointments and stuff like that. And so after one semester, I transferred up to Appalachian State. Um, and all my friends from high school, basically all my friends from high school had gone up there. So I got up there, got, you know, hanging around with all of them, and they always, uh, my roommate was actually a football player on the football team, and so I got to be friends with a lot of the football players just because we were roommates. And anytime they went to go do something, they always asked me if I wanted to go, and I rarely said no, because I tried anything just about once. I tried rock climbing once. I'm good. I'm not, I'm not very good at that, so we're done with that. But one day they were going to go play basketball, and they said, hey, we're going to go play basketball. Do you want to come with us? I said, yeah, I'll go play. I said, I'm, I'm not the greatest basketball player in the world, but I'm not the worst. I've got a really good crossover dribble, just breaking. Some of y'all got that. You got some smart people. Some people are like, I don't get it. It's like, yeah, because you're dumb. Um, but so we're, we're getting there, and we're, we're shooting before the game starts. And so I started counting to see how many players we had. And you need 10 to run a full-court basketball game. We had 11. I was, that mean, I was like, somebody's not going to get picked. I wonder who that's going to be. And so I was looking around. I was really hoping there was a guy there with no arms, but there wasn't. And um, so they picked teams, and sure enough, I didn't get picked. And so I just grabbed a ball, just went off on a goal, and was just over kind of shooting by myself. I'd watch them play, and then I'd shoot. Well, at Appalachian State, and I haven't been back up there, so maybe you, if it's changed, you can tell me. At the time, there were four full-court basketball courts with a track. Is it still like that? Okay, four full-court basketball courts with a track that goes around them. And so I would stand there and shoot, and people, you know, are, are walking and running on the track. And I'll be honest, it's not every day you see a one-armed guy shooting a basketball. I get that. So typically people would walk by and they'd look, and then they'd look back down, and then they'd look back like, that's yeah, a one-armed guy shooting basketball, you know. And then they'd go on with their life. Except for this one girl. Like, I'm literally, I would shoot, and the first time she came by, she glanced and she looked back, and then she... Like, I was like, do I have something on my face? Or <laughs> Second time, exact same thing. She's, she gets to my court, and she's just, like, staring. And I want to be like, that's rude. <laughs> Third time, same thing. Fourth time, same thing. About the fifth time, I'm starting to get mad. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to do any tricks. Just... And every time she came by my court, she was walking slower to the point, eventually, she was almost walking backward. And so I started getting mad, wanted to be like, come on, come get you some. But at the same time, I, <laughs> I didn't want to get beat up by a girl, so I didn't do that, you know. Sixth time, seventh time, eighth time, she stares me down every time she walks by my court. And I, I'm, I'm really getting mad. And then about the ninth or the tenth lap, I started thinking like most guys, like, wait a minute, she's checking me out. <laughs> She likes what she sees. And so then I had only had one arm for just a couple years at the time, and so I, not even that long. And I was still learning how to deal with it. I had no, zero self-confidence. And so I'm like, well, how can I make her come talk to me? Because I'm, I'm not going to talk to her. And so I figured what I'd do instead of shooting free throws, I went over to the baseline. So I'm right here by the track so she doesn't have as far to walk to come talk to me, you know, because I'm a gentleman. And... So sure enough, I go right over by the baseline, and the very first time I do, she comes and she just walks straight up to me. And 
you know how it is when, you know, somebody wants to ask you a question and you just know they will. And so she's like, hey, and I'm like, how you doing? You know, and, and I can tell, I was like, you want to ask me a question? Go ahead, girl. Ask me out. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll say, yeah, you're cute. Go ahead. And she's like, I was just wondering. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm like, come on. I'm, I'm going to say yes. Just go. She's like, if you'd like to go to church with me sometime. And I was like. I didn't do that with my face, but that's what my, my brain was doing that because I had been raised in church my entire life. I went to church three years in a row, didn't miss one single Sunday. I mean, I was a churchgoer. And, but I was mad at God because I thought God had taken my arm. And that's just because I was dumb. I didn't know John 10.10 10 at the time. It says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. I didn't know that at the time, so I'm mad at God about that. So she's like, do you want to go to church? And I'm thinking, no, I don't. But you are cute. Cute girls are good evangelists. I'll tell you that right now. And so, and so the, way I started, <laughs> the way I started processing it was my whole life when we went to church, when we got out of church, we always went out to eat. Always. Every single time. I was like, that's just her clever way of asking me out. I was stretching at this point. To just ask me out to dinner. And I was like, yeah, I'll go with you. Sure. And so I go to church, and it was, it was like this. I had never been in a church where there were drums and guitars and keyboards. At my church, it was a piano on this side and an organ on this side. And halfway through the service, the lady would get up, and she'd walk around, and then she'd play this one for the other half of the service. I don't know why. That's just how they roll. Um, but it was a, a church kind of like this. Well, so we get there, and there's a missionary there from Africa. And he had been in Africa for, like, ever. I think he invented Africa. And... He's talking about all the amazing things he'd seen God do on the mission field. And you got to remember, I'm still the guy who's mad at God. So I'm just sitting there, and he's like, I've seen God raise people from the dead. And I was like, I don't care. He's like, I've seen blind eyes open. I don't care. I've seen deaf people able to hear again. I don't care. I've seen arms grow out. I was like, you saw what? <laughs> is, there, is there a sign-up sheet for that or something? Because y'all don't need three, but I need two. So, so then, obviously, this guy's got my attention. Because I'm like, I had already made up in my mind. I don't even know if you know this, Mom. But I said, I'm going to get my arm. It's a four-hour drive home. I'll probably get home around two in the morning. And I'm just going to walk into my mom's bedroom. And I'm like, look, Mom, I got two arms, you know. And uh, I don't know if I ever told you that. But I literally, I'm sitting, I, I'd already thought it out in my mind. I'm going home, and I'm going to show my mom my arm. And so... Obviously, this guy's got my attention now because I was like, what are the steps or, you know, whatever. So then he starts talking about the goodness of God. And that was when the God that he was talking about and the God that I'm mad at, all of a sudden, they're not really matching up. And I really like the God that he was talking about. And so at the end of the service, he gives an altar call for anybody who wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the cute girl, she goes, are you a Christian? I was like, yeah, I think so. Even though I'm the one who's mad at God and done with him. I'm like, yeah, I think so. She's like, well, how, how do you know? I was like, well, I went to church three years in a row. Didn't miss a Sunday. I used to be president of our youth group. Before that, I was the vice president. I even had little speaking parts in the church as a kid. And she, got, she said, would you like to go forward just to be sure? And I said, yeah, it won't hurt. So I went forward. And the funny thing is, is I walked up to that altar one person. And I walked back from that altar a completely different person. Like... That's what some people just don't get. Jesus can change you in an instant. 
And that's what happened to me. It's like I literally felt like I walked up carrying this. I don't even know how heavy this is, but let's just assume this is really heavy. That I walked up carrying that on my shoulders. And I walked back with nothing. And so I started getting really involved at the campus ministry there at Appalachian State. And we started having opportunities to go and just do little youth events and, and things. One time I was asked to do an event in Taylorsville, North Carolina. Um, and I had never even been to Taylorsville, but I was asked to do this event. And we're setting up for the event and everything. And I didn't even know what I was going to talk about yet. And I was one of the speakers. But basically, through a series of events, through the Word, God said, the words are already in you. It's in Job chapter 31. The words are already in you, and the Spirit will compel you what to say. All right? Can you give me a hint or something? You know? So I'm getting ready to, the event is starting, and they have at the front of the service, or at the front of the auditorium, they had seven candles. And they lit these seven candles. And what those were was in the last six months at that time, they had had seven teenagers die by either suicide or car accident. And so they were lighting these candles as kind of a memorial for them. And when they did, I started crying, which was really unusual because I've never been one to cry much. And I'm thinking, well, you know, anytime somebody dies, it's sad, but especially a young person because they never really had a chance at life. But it went from when I was crying to I was sobbing. I would have been sitting right over here. I had my head between my knees and I was bawling my eyes out. And even though I still, I wasn't, I I would consider myself a baby Christian, I knew that God was dealing with me about something. And so I prayed a really, really spiritual prayer. I said, God, what's up? That's in the Bible somewhere. It's like first hesitations or something. But, and I said, so I said, God, what's up? And he reminded me that after my accident, I'd always say, God, why me? And I asked God why me practically every single day. I was four days from finally going off to my college orientation where I was going to play baseball at Appalachian State. God, why me? And he said, God reminded me like right then and there. He said, you never asked me why I let you live that day. All right, I'll ask you right now. I said, God, why did you let me live that day? Why didn't I just die and go on to heaven to be with you? And he spoke to me to the point that I asked my friend who was sitting beside me, I said, did you hear that? And she said, I didn't hear anything. I hear you crying like a baby. But Um, I heard it. And God told me, he said, if you'd have died that day, you would have gone to hell. church three years in a row didn't miss a Sunday I was the president of our youth group so I got up to speak that night with that fresh knowledge and basically cried through the whole thing and at the end I gave an altar call we saw 70 some kids come to Jesus that night and I told God I said, I'll do this every day for the rest of my life if you want me to. 
if it'll keep one person from going to hell. Because it scared me when God told me that, to think that I could be burning in hell right now. And then I got scared, and I asked God, God, I was like, how many people are out there now like I was? They're on their way to hell, and they have no idea. My brother-in-law was in church his entire life for 40-some years. He happened to find my website one day at work because he was obviously working really hard. And he clicked, and he listened to my testimony, and at the end, I gave an altar call. And even though he was in his mid-40s, I think it was at the time, he gave his life to Jesus for the first time. He'd been in church his entire life. So that's why I'm here today. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this morning's for you. Or maybe you accepted Jesus at some point in your life, but you've turned your back on Him. You walked away and you know you're not living the way you're supposed to. Or maybe you are like I was that night in church when that girl goes, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, I think so. I thought so. And I was wrong. And maybe this morning you need that no-so experience. So I'm just going to ask you if you would, everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes with me just one quick second. Just got a question for you. If that's you on any one of those three things, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the very first time, or if you want to rededicate your life to Him this morning because you know you're not living the way you're supposed to. Or maybe you are sitting in here this morning like I was and I thought I was a Christian but I didn't know and you want that no-so experience then this morning's for you too. And if you can't think back to a specific time when you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior when you know that you nailed it down then you need to take care of that this morning. So if that's you on any one of those three things if you want to accept Jesus for the first time if you want to rededicate your life to Him or if you need that no-so experience, right where you're sitting, just slip your hand up. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Put your hands down. I see your hand. Who else? Thank you, Jesus. All right, everybody, if you would, just look up at me for just one second. And I saw quite a few hands go up, and I'm sure there's some I missed because these lights are kind of bright. But I'm not done. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he did so openly. He didn't say, hey, can you take me back behind this mountain? Crucify me over here where nobody can see me. I don't want to be hanging on the cross half naked, beaten, to the point that nobody can even recognize who I am. Jesus was crucified openly for us. So I think it's only right that when we come to him, we come to him openly as well. Because I'll tell you this right now, if you can't make a stand for God in church, there's no way you'll make a stand for God in the world. So if that's you on any one of those three things, here in just one second, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come to the front. Now some of you just freaked out. Stop. Now I, I'll admit there was still a little bit of claw marks probably still on that pew from where that cute girl said, do you want to go forward? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm hanging on. A couple things. There's going to come a day you might be sitting there thinking, well, what's my neighbor going to think? Or what's, what are these people in here going to think about me? There's going to come a day when it's going to be you standing in front of your creator. Your neighbor's not going to be standing next to you. It's going to be you and him. And he's going to say, what did you do with what Jesus did for you? Your neighbor's not going to be there. This is between you and him. Now, I know 
the pastors of this church. And so I, that, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know their people pretty well too. When you get up out of your seat and come down to the front, this place is going to go nuts in a good way. So here in a second, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, if you raised your hand, should have raised your hand, wanted to raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come down to the front. The reason why I'm counting to three is I don't want you to wait and see well, if somebody else gets up and goes, then I'll go. You need to go because God has dealt with you. The Holy Spirit is gnawing on you right here, right now. And that's, that's just the Holy Spirit saying, come on, just go get right. Just go get right. So here on the count of three, get up out of your seats. And come down to the front. Just line up right here. Just face me on the count of three. One, two, three. say a huge thank you to Jonathan Hamlet, Robert Platt, Michael Ledford, and Brian Baldwin for taking the journey with me and helping me host the Angry Christian Podcast. Another big thanks goes out to Simon Panrucker for his song, Angry Dance, and to Scott Holmes for his song, Clear Progress, that we use at the beginning and the end of the show. All other music is produced by the Angry Christian crew. And finally, the show wouldn't be possible without you, our listeners. Thank you for taking the journey with us. Thank you.